It's Friday, January 7th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. COVID testing is once again becoming an issue as the demand for tests is growing. Specifically, at-home rapid tests are very hard to come by, and when you do find them, the prices can be inflated. Some are resorting to buying tests at triple the retail price as they are becoming a necessity for returning to work and school. Kelsey Butler, equality reporter at Bloomberg News, joins us for the unpredictable market for rapid tests. Next, President Biden began the anniversary of the January 6th Capitol riots by denouncing the violence and pinning all the blame on former President Trump. Many Republicans, on the other hand, handled the day in a variety of ways. Some tried to depict what happened on that day as acts of patriotism or defending freedom. Others held rally in support of protesters at the Capitol. One year later, some of the participants are even running for elected office. David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico, joins us for more. Finally, the current wave of Omicron infections is forcing businesses to scramble to cover their bases while people are calling out or quarantining, and it could threaten the economic recovery. The markets have not reacted that way, and like with the Delta surge, they hope the rebound will be quick. David Lynch, global economics correspondent at The Washington Post, joins us for how businesses are reacting to the latest wave. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And the acquaintance that she bought them from actually got the test for free through his job. So people are taking advantage if they have them, if they've been stockpiling them to turn around and resell them. And because the desperation is so high, people feel like they have to pay them. Joining us now is Kelsey Butler, equality reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. Wanted to talk about uh, the availability of rapid tests right now. Obviously, the Omicron variant is spreading very quickly throughout the United States. It's highly transmissible. And uh, we're just coming off, you know, a lot of holiday breaks for people. So a lot of people are trying to get their hands on tests so they can uh, be clear about going back to work and school and all that. But they're just so hard to find. On top of that, they're increasingly getting more expensive. And as you wrote in your piece, uh, people are meeting people on the sidewalk paying double, triple the retail price for these tests just so they can get their hands on them. So, Kelsey, tell us a little bit more about it, please. Yeah, that sidewalk story was one that really stood out to me. It almost sounds uh, it sounds like you'd be exchanging something much more nefarious, but <laughs> right. no, it's an at-home COVID test. This uh, restaurant worker who um, I mentioned in the story, she had been exposed to COVID, and the acquaintance that she bought them from actually got the test for free through his job. So people are taking advantage if they have them, if they've been stockpiling them to turn around and resell them. And because the desperation is so high, people feel like they have to pay them. I think when the math shook out, it was something like $23 for each individual test that she bought that day. What is the roundabout retail price of what they were? Like the Binax Now kits, those are some of the popular ones. If I remember correctly, it was about 25 bucks for two tests in a box. Is that what it was? Exactly. And that's about uh, how you would pay, how much you would pay at some uh, large uh, retail chains. But it's actually really bad timing right now because there was a deal with some big retailers like Walmart and Kroger where they were selling the tests at lower prices. It was a deal that had been reached with the Biden administration and that just expired. So right as we're having this new variant come in, a bunch of people are coming back from New Year's, Christmas, all that stuff. The prices on those are going up. You'd be able to get them before at like $14 on Walmart shelves. And now it's going to be about 20 bucks. 
you had another story where there was a group of restaurant workers that needed to get them. They paid 180 bucks for four test kits. There was another person that I, I chatted with who's a musician uh, based in New York, and she had been using rapid tests a lot with other fellow musicians. She's recording an album now. So when they would go into studio, they would just use them. And she was saying they were using them like candy. And she has saw no reason to start stockpiling them. But something that was available so freely a month ago doesn't look the same way now. And I think she paid $37 for a test that typically retails at 24 at like Walgreens. Now, where do we stand with getting reimbursed for some of these tests? I believe the Biden administration said that they would make reimbursements available through private health insurers and all that. Where do we stand on that part? So more information on that um, will be released. Biden uh, said this week that people should be able to be reimbursed through private insurance later this month. But anyone that has called their insurance company ever knows that nothing is necessarily simple when you're trying to get money back. And also, if you've taken a route like buying a home test from someone on a street corner or on an online Facebook group or something like that, it's not like you're necessarily going to have a receipt that you can turn around and send to your insurance company. And, you know, the, it's just going to be an unpredictable market for the near future, at least. And it's in big contrast to what's happening to some other European countries where you note in your article, you know, they're free, pretty easy to find. Since I've sent out the article, a bunch of people have been messaging me on social media and whatnot, saying that they're paying a fraction of the same prices for similar tests in European countries, and they're able to get them much more readily. Um, And obviously, as uh, people say, you know, public health officials and public health experts, the more readily available they are, the more frequently they'll be used, that saves infections, and it ultimately benefits us all. You made a note of a company, WeShield, who sells medical supplies and things like that. And depending on their stock, depending on how much they're being charged for the test, they have to address the prices and send those on, uh, pass those along to the consumer too. Exactly. Finax test uh, that we just talked about that sold at Walmart for 14, now 20. Uh, WeShield is selling for about $50. And that's just comes down to the supply demand dynamics that we're seeing right now. There's a bunch of other similar type third-party retailers that are also having prices in that range. And, you know, anyone that gets an ad on the side of their uh, email or any website they're scrolling will see those prices around there, too. And, you know, that pressure really won't be released until there's more tests out there and on the market. Kelsey Butler, equality reporter at Bloomberg News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. I did not seek this fight brought to this capital one year ago today, but I will not shrink from it either. I will stand in this breach. I will defend this nation. And I will allow no one to place a dagger at the throat of democracy. Joining us now is David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico. Thanks for joining us, David. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, President Biden started the day marking the anniversary of the January 6th Capitol riot by delivering a fiery speech, pinpointing the whole thing on former President Trump, although he never really used his name. But, you know, he said his bruised ego matters more to him than our democracy or our constitution. 
you know, he made mention that, you know, this isn't the time to being to be being bogged down by the past. And of the rioters, he described them as holding a dagger to the throat of America. So uh, really just trying to pinpoint everything on them. But on the side of the Republicans, it's a, you know, kind of a mixed bag. You know, there's those that are, you know, want to forget the past. There's those that are still firmly in it and following along with President Trump's lies. There's a lot going on. So what are we seeing out there, David? Well, I think a couple of things. The traditionalist Republicans, which are a a shrinking brand in that party, I think are worried about the electoral implications of all of the talk about January 6th. And, you know, a very tiny fraction of the Republican Party is worried about it for ethical or pro-democracy reasons. There's a larger contingent of the party that's worried about the implications in the vote in November. They see Biden as weak. And in fact, public polling shows Biden's in a bad position and Republicans are poised to do very well in the midterm elections. They would prefer for the party not to be identified as lunatics. That, I think, is the unsettled element of that party. The majority of the GOP base, though, has you know, really mainlined this idea that you know, these false claims that the election was stolen and now the new conspiracy theories that this was not an attack on the Capitol and that this was either you know, downplaying it either as a mere protest or um, wrongly and falsely saying that this was the result of you know, some kind of false flag event, Democrats or the government leading the event. Let's talk a little bit about the terms being thrown around with all of this. Kind of you alluded to it a little bit, but you know, a lot of the participants, uh, at least on the Republican side, are depicting the people who participated in the riots as patriots, political prisoners. There's going to be a number of vigils and rallies and stuff that were supposed to be held, you know, supporting these people. A lot of them got canceled. President Trump was going to hold an event as well. That got canceled. But this is how they're trying to reposition them, I guess, as patriots. That's right. And I wouldn't read too much into the cancellation. The Trump presser got canceled, but he still put two statements out within seconds of Biden finishing speaking. And he'll be at a rally in Arizona next week where Trump's voice is not diminished in the Republican Party, I don't think. And these these other events, yes, Cobb County and Georgia canceled their event, but there are other ones going on in more than a dozen states. Uh, by my count, there will be vigils for these political prisoners is what they call them of, of January 6th. And even more than that, you know, if you watched Fox at all during the day on Thursday, what you saw is a regurgitation of, of a lot of these ideas and a downplaying of the significance of the event. And that's to say nothing of the further right places, places like Bannon's War Room, where Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates were lying about the events. So the entire ecosystem has spun up pretty well on this in a counter narrative of delusion, really, about what happened on January 6th. And in the meantime, you know, a lot of the people that participated in this are running for office or running for local office. I think you said 57 individuals who played a role in the January 6th events are going this route. They're trying to run for elected office, trying to increase their voices there. Yeah, definitely. There's a you know there's an entire crop of, of Republicans who are making careers off of this. Something of you know, this is like a, a grifter complex or something industrial complex, right? In the in the GOP, and they're because you know these these aren't lonely voices. That's the thing. It's not like somebody participating at the Capitol riot last year is viewed as a negative within the GOP. If you went to the Capitol riot, you can wear that as a badge of honor in a GOP primary for sure. And then in a general election. Anywhere, it's really unclear to me that the idea of 
pro-democracy, anti-democracy is playing for voters in a way that matters. So somebody can run in a primary election touting their involvement in an insurrection and then in a general election be very easy to pivot to talking about the economy and talking about Joe Biden. How does this play out for the future? I mean, we have a panel in Congress investigating all of the stuff that happened then. You know, you spoke to a couple of Republican strategists who is advising people that are running for office right now and telling he's telling them dodge some of these questions, you know, obviously, unless this is part of your campaign and you want to get fully involved in it. But to a point, you know, he's telling people just dodge these questions. Let's talk about real issues, let's say, rather than keep going back to all of this. Right. And this goes to the point that Republican office holders hold, too, which is you have you know, a very good landscape right now with President Biden you know, in bad shape in public opinion polls. You have his approval rating way down. You have COVID still raging. People are upset about the direction of the country. All of those are true things going on where Democrats are in trouble. And if Republicans can keep their focus on that, they have what they view as a winning argument in November. And this other thing may become a distraction or certainly more muddled for them. David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. The economy should be able to make up the lost ground in the second quarter. And over the course of the full year, fingers crossed, unless there's you know another variant waiting for us in the future, ought to still have a decent, uh, a decent full year in 2022. Joining us now is David Lynch, global economics correspondent at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, David. Anytime. Well, the Omicron variant is proving to be very transmissible. We're seeing a high number of infections. And what's happening to businesses as a result is we're getting a lot of call-outs. We're getting a lot of people being in quarantine for a bit of time. And it's forcing these businesses to scramble, really, covering shifts and, and just kind of operating normally. And it could be threatening the economic recovery. We recovered pretty quickly from Delta, but this thing is persisting. And we're getting, as I mentioned, just scores of employees having to be quarantined for this. So, David, tell us some more about it. Yeah, it's been a, a real roller coaster for businesses over the last six, nine months, uh, really uh, over the, the entire course of the pandemic, of course. And staffing is the key concern now. In the early days of the pandemic, it was really the loss of demand as, as customers stayed home. But now businesses are really having to scramble because the rate of infection is just spreading like wildfire. The good news is so far the, the illnesses do seem to be milder than some of the earlier variants, but it's just created a real whack-a-mole type problem for companies that are trying to keep enough workers on the job to keep operations going. Yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely the tough part, right? The infections are milder, which is great, but we're still following the same safety protocols, you know, a number of days being quarantined. You have to get those negative tests before you can come back to work. I guess one of the estimates out there is that there's 5 million Americans that are in quarantine right now because of this. That came from Capital Economics, uh, which is an investment and research firm. That's 5 million now who are sort of stuck at home waiting this thing out. The number's certain to go higher in the next few weeks. We, we haven't hit the peak of this yet. The good news is that the hope is, uh, the hope and the expectation, that this isn't going to derail the economic recovery entirely. It, it is going to take a bite out of growth in the first quarter. 
But assuming that this is the kind of passing storm that we saw in South Africa and, and in the UK, the economy should be able to make up the lost ground in the second quarter. And over the course of the full year, fingers crossed, unless there's you know an ush, uh, another variant waiting for us in the future, ought to still have a decent uh, a decent full year in 2022. Businesses, obviously, in the immediate are facing these big problems, but the mood in the markets is different. They don't think it'll be a big deal uh, economically overall. Just uh, to you know, to your point, you know, where the uh, quarter two will be better, and hopefully, over across the, the entire year, it'll be much better. But we did rebound quickly from Delta; those surges, so th- they're expecting the same thing, at least in the markets. Yeah, and you know, the market is not uh, infallible, of course. But uh, thus far, it, it seems relatively unfazed by the uh, the rise of uh, Omicron. You know, investors, I think, are more more focused or more worried about what the Fed's going to do with interest rates and with the uh, withdrawal of its uh, uh, extraordinary support for the economy. Likewise, the fiscal stimulus that's been coming from government spending for the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion Biden program, that is starting to peter out. So the economy is going to be forced to stand on its own a little bit more this year than has been the case in the recent past. And that's sort of the key issue from the investor standpoint, I think, less than uh, the uh, new variant. How are some of the companies coping? Because as I mentioned, you know, a lot of people are calling out, a lot of people are in quarantine, you know, with these businesses with a limited number of employees, you know, if a group of them goes out, things start really falling by the wayside at that point. So how are they coping? I mean, are they doing emergency hiring? Are they just trying to weather the storm with longer hours, things like that? What, what are they doing? Yeah, I was really struck. I talked to a, a number of companies, hotels, restaurants, manufacturers, uh, a wide variety. And as you might expect, folks in the restaurant business have been really taking it on the chin for two years now. And, uh, you know, I talked to one restaurant out in San Francisco that, you know, they had to shut down for the last two weeks of the year, which is usually their biggest business opportunity all year in terms of revenue and profits, but they just couldn't keep the staff together in the face of uh, this wave of infections. So they had to shut down and they're still struggling to reopen. And, you know, it's been like that for two years. Manufacturers, I think, are more determined or perhaps better positioned to be able to power through this thing. If you're a manufacturer, you might be able to spread the work over two or three shifts rather than having everybody in the factory at the same time. Most factories, most modern factories now are not quite as heavily populated as was the case in the traditional smokestack era in the past. So you can you can do a little more of that social distancing and masks help and testing. And But there's really a mood, I think, among many businessmen that, you know, unlike in the very first months of the pandemic where it was just the shock, this tsunami that came out of nowhere and folks hunkered down and thought by shutting down, maybe we'd get through this. Now, I think the mood is much more, you know what, this thing is out there. We've learned to live with it to some degree over the last couple of years, and we just have to do the best we can to keep the lights on and keep the factories running and keep the hotels open and just power through this as best we can. David Lynch, Global Economics Correspondent at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Happy to do it. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.